0: You are about to listen to a message delivered by Pete Scazzaro, Senior Pastor of New Life Fellowship and founder of the Center for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality in Elmhurst, Queens, New York. For more information or resources, visit our website at newlifefellowship.org or center4ehs.org. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we affirm it is so true where would we be without your faithfulness we would not be alive in this room we would not be breathing and apart from your faithfulness and your love for us Lord we would not be drawn to you and any ounce or even drops of desires for you we recognize are all grace we give you praise and thanks and we worship you for you are good and faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. All right, go with me to Genesis uh, chapter 27. Uh, Genesis chapter 27. And uh, today really is part two of six messages on Jacob and his life. This is really from last week, the striving, rushing, manipulating Jacob. I'm going to pick up from last week. Uh, on this chapter of 27, and if, you'll, if you will get today and, and, and this message, uh, it will free you uh, and lead you to a place of rest and contentment like you've never dreamed. Uh, and so this whole episode that we're going to read about in just a few minutes revolves around the blessing. And uh, this blessing that God gave to Abraham that he was to pass on to his son Isaac and then Isaac on generation to generation to generation. And it's more than we give a blessing, we bless our friends, we offer have a blessing at the end of the service, which is was a prayer, really, that, that God will you know, do something wonderful. The blessing we're talking about here that they're battling over is more of a prophecy that, that is certain to be fulfilled. So it's different than we do a blessing. And it's a massive blessing that Isaac the father is carrying to pass on to one of his sons. And, and they're going to be battling over who gets that blessing. And this blessing, as you'll read about in just a few minutes, in verse 28... Has to do with who gets this blessing. You are promised, you know, great lands, tremendous prosperity, uh, and peace. History is going to bow down to you, really, and that wherever you go, there'll be a hedge of protection around you from your enemies. So it's a it's a very big blessing. And so now I'm going to give you a little background of this text because we're gonna. It's a long passage. I'm just going to read a portion of it, and uh, so let me kind of explain to you. Uh, the history here and who the people are, who the characters are. Remember, the Bible starts in Genesis 12 with Abraham, uh, who receives this blessing, that through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. Whoever blesses him will be blessed. Whoever curses him will be cursed. He's married to Sarah. And uh, he has kind of a, you know, waiting for God to give him his promised son, to whom he's to give a blessing. He is waiting a very long time, 25 plus years. So he ends up uh, getting frustrated and waiting, and him and Sarah basically has a child through Hagar, their maidservant, because of impatience and not waiting, and Ishmael is birthed. But finally, after age 100, God does give Abraham a son, and his son's name is Isaac. Now, in this story we're about to read, Isaac is 100 years old. Okay, And so uh, he actually thinks he's on his deathbed, but he's not. You ever feel like you're old and you're dying? That's where Isaac is. Like, But he's actually going to live 43 more years. So if you feel like you're going to die, you may have a lot more kick left in you. Uh, and Isaac does. But here he's on his bed, he's complaining, he's dying, and he wants to now give the blessing. And uh, he's got two sons, Esau and Jacob. They're twins, but Esau is the oldest. And as I said last week, you're the oldest. Uh, uh, you're the firstborn. There's a lot of privileges that comes with being the oldest son, especially in ancient Jewish culture. And Esau is the oldest son. And because um, uh, the, the father's spirit is in you, two-thirds of the inheritance is yours, and all that prosperity is, really belongs to that firstborn son. But he's married to Rebekah. And um, Isaac favors Esau because Esau is his kind of a guy. Esau is, is, uh, the Bible says he's hairy, which some of you guys here you know he's got hair probably in his, not just his chest, but probably his back, all right, (laughs) and uh, his neck and his arms. And he's an outdoors hunter type guy. And and the father just, Isaac likes that. He's got a bit of wildness. Jacob is an introvert. He says he stays at home. He's quiet. Um, He's manipulative. But uh, Rebecca favors Jacob. And Isaac favors Esau. Their marriage is basically not going anywhere. They started out fantastic, very prayerful, very godly. um, But basically something happened in there where where they found their relationship needs met not in each other any longer, Isaac and Rebekah, but now in Esau and and Jacob. So it's a a very unhealthy family. That's why we can relate to it so well. It's right there smack in the Bible. And um, so now Isaac thinks he's dying. So he's got to give the blessing over. Now God had said very clearly... Uh, in chapter 23 of Genesis, that this blessing is to go to Jacob. Everybody knows it, but Isaac doesn't care, and uh, he's dying, and he's going to give it to his favorite son Esau. And so he pulls Esau aside, and he doesn't want. He does it secretively because he doesn't want Rebekah to hear, because he knows if she hears, all hell will break loose. So he does the classic thing, and secretly says, "Listen, Esau, go get me, go hunt some wild game." and prepare a great meal for me, and feed me, and then I will bless you, and you'll get the blessing. And it's irrevocable. Once that blessing is released, it cannot be ever brought back. And uh, so Esau goes out there and prepares this. And, and, um, so, and, but as we'll see in just a second, Rebecca, when she overhears this conversation, she goes, all right, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, so she secretly goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, listen, your father's planning to do this. So she says, go prepare a couple of goats for me. I'll prepare a great meal, and I want you to dress up like your Esau. Because Isaac's going blind. And I want you to go and pretend that you're Esau and get the blessing. Now understand, Jacob is no young chicken. He is at least 40 years old. Some scholars put him at 70 years old. So he's still under mama's apron strings. All right, so for those of you who are older here and your parents still have enormous power over your life, I mean, here is Jacob. The mom says, go deceive your father. Get dressed up like Esau and tell him you're Esau. And Jacob's like, well, I, you know, all right, all right, you know. And so he goes and does it. So, so, but, but as we'll see in this passage, Rebecca, is, who started out very godly and, and sweet and energetic, and she's beautiful, she ends up becoming very dominant, manipulative, and scheming. And she oversteps boundaries and left and right. So let's pick it up here, and beginning at verse 18, where now Jacob is coming before Isaac, his father. And he's making believe he's Esau. Verse 18, he went to his father and said, my father. Imagine, here's Isaac on his deathbed, apparently, thinking he's on his deathbed. Yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Liar. You know. <laughs> I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing." And Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. (laughs) He pulls the God card. (laughs) Works every time. And then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether or not you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. Jacob, this guy has no conscience. I am, he replies. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. So Jacob brought, to, brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, "'Come here, my son, and kiss me.'" I mean, what boldness. So he went to him and kissed him, kind of like Judas, you know? And when Isaac caught the smell of the clothes, he blessed them and said, "'Now here comes the blessing, this, this promised prophecy. "'Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field "'that the Lord has blessed. "'May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches, richness, "'of abundance of grain and new wine.'" May nations serve you, and peoples bow down to you. Be lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. What an enormous, historical, international blessing. That's, that's a sure thing, prophecy. And after Isaac finished blessing him, verse 30, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, "My father, sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing." His father Isaac asked him, "Who are you?" <laughs> "I am your son," he answered. "Your firstborn, es- Esau." Now, this Isaac trembled violently. It's a very rich Hebrew phrase. It's like I mean, he's really, he realizes how he has just what what's happened, and uh, you know. It's almost like he's broken at this point. He trembles violently and he says, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me too, my father. What a scene. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing." And Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, which means liar, deceiver? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Wow. Whoa, what a passage. So here, here's here. So here's Jacob. I mean, here he is. He goes along with Rebekah's scheming to steal his blessing, or to grab it. And he lies just so blatantly to, to his dad. And And uh, I mean, it's almost like, it's incredible, it's in the Bible, isn't it? I mean, here's Isaac, almost blind, and how abusive to take advantage of this old blind man, you know, and deceive him. And he drags the name of God into the mud, doesn't he? God blessed me, and and, uh, he seems to have no remorse, neither him nor his mom, just lie upon lie, and... And, uh, and basically they take into their hands the blessing of God and the, and the purposes of God and the plans of God. So there's so much in this passage in this unhealthy family which re- resembles a lot of our families. Um, but I'm just going to give you two. Two lessons I believe that are for us today. All right, There's really many more but these are two I believe are, are God speaking to us as a, as a family this morning. So here's the first one. Seek the truth or the truth will seek you. That's the first dynamic going on here. Seek the truth or the truth will seek you. Now, some of you may come from families where one of your parents favored the other, or maybe one of your parents, better said, did not accept one of the kids for whatever reasons didn't like the temperament or style or personality of the child. When there's favoritism or parents showing that kind of unequal acceptance of one child over another, it is extremely destructive in a family. It unleashes all kinds of hell and horror. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's what goes on here. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got, you know, going back for a second, you've got, um, you know, Isaac favoring Esau and Rebekah favoring Jacob. So now as a result, nobody trusts anybody. There's tremendous tension in this family. And um, and again, the parents, rather than having a healthy marriage, out of which they're looking to each other for companionship, they're finding their companionship in their kids. So even their covenant of marriage is, is really basically all mixed up. And it puts quite a weight on the kids. And so, um, there, there, there's, no, there's so much lying and deceit going on in this family that everything is spin. Do you know spin? Some of you work in, in, in politics or in, in a lot of spin going on. It's kind of like the truth, but it's like half the truth. This family's full of spin and uh, to cover up. And, and again, Isaac, as a father, he is very passive and indifferent spiritually. I mean, he, he apparently starts out okay spiritually, but... Somewhere along the line, he, he's not diligent about his walk with God. He's very sloppy. And a lot of, in fact, a lot of has been written about even the kind of man he is at this point in chapter 27. I mean, he's, he's interested in, in, in his physical appetite being satisfied. He's relying on his senses. He's disregarding what God has said in his word. He wants Esau to get the blessing, and Esau is going to get the blessing. He doesn't care what God has said, and he knows fully about it. And um, so he himself is out of order spiritually as a parent, which has great implications for the family. Now, Rebecca and, and the mom and Jacob, the son, they're rushing, they're lying, they're manipulating. I mean, they are just, just in case God doesn't come through. Remember, God said, God said the blessing is gonna go to Jacob. But right now, Isaac's about to give it to Esau, and they're watching this saying, This is bad. Isaac is going against God, and so we've got to enter in and fix this thing. I mean, they're not gonna wait and pray, and say, Isaac, you know, God has said this, and be patient, they're going to manipulate this thing, and they're going to make sure Jacob gets the blessing, and, uh, and so, uh, basically, Rebecca convinces Jacob, who, you know, to dress up like Esau, and to make sure God's will gets done, make sure he gets the blessing, and what's interesting, Jacob's kind of like, I don't think it's a good idea, mom, you know, because I could get cursed with this thing, you know, I, and, and, and this mom wants so badly for her kid to get blessed, that she goes, listen, if there's a curse, I'll take the curse on myself, verse 13. I mean, some of you are parents, you're going to appreciate that. You're like, I want my kid to get blessed. I don't care what it costs me. Uh, th- this passage says a lot to us as parents. Because she's hell or high water, her kid's going to get the blessing. And as we'll see a bit later, you know, the truth is you, you seek the truth or the truth will seek you. The truth will eventually come out. She'll pay for it. There'll be consequences for their actions. You drive your will for your kids. You may get your will done, but make no mistake about it, the truth will come after you. Because she's not saying, I want God's will for this kid. I want God's timing for this kid. I want God's purpose for my child Jacob. No, she's I want to make sure it goes down my way. And she's going to manipulate and make sure it happens. I, and uh, she sees time is running out. It looks like God's not coming through. And uh, I, I like what one commentator said about Rebecca the mom. says, she is deceitful, proud, a selfish woman who wants her way, not God's. And you know, there's a saying that floats around that adversity introduces us to ourselves. That when you go through trials, it introduces you to who you really are. When Rebecca goes through this trial with God, she does not come out very well. She's a scheming, sneak liar, and she basically puts God on a shelf, and she's going to get it done. So she gets her way, but at a price. It's one of the great lessons of this text. She gets her way, but uh, there's a tremendous consequence. The truth seeks her out. And so... You know, she says, and actually, and you, I hope you go home and you'll read the passage again. In verse 43 to 45, after this whole thing gets down, Jacob gets the blessing. Esau now wants to kill Jacob. The family blows apart. And Jacob, she's got to get Jacob out of town because Esau is going to kill him. And so she lies again to Isaac and says, let's, you know, I'm going to send him to my uncle Laban. And she makes up this reason. She goes to see Uncle Laban. It's all a lie. And she goes, Jacob, just go there for a few days to Uncle Laban. My brother. And when it all cools out, Esau's calmed down, come back, and everything will be fine. What she thinks is just gonna be a few days ends up being 20 years. As far as we know, she ne- knows she never sees Jacob again alive. And her family is wrecked forever. Now, seek the truth, or the truth will seek you. The truth comes after her, and, and the consequence of that truth. And, and she just wants everything forgotten. She just wants, you know, go away for a few days, we'll fix it all up, and we'll just move on like before. And uh, she ends up losing Jacob and Esau and her, and her whole family. And it's incredible. As you look at Rebecca's life, she is dominating. She's controlling. She's manipulating. She's like a stampede of getting her will done. Of course, in God's name. But she is going to stampede through her life to get her will for her family and her kids and her life. And um, truth, forget it. Truth. But here's the lesson here. Seek the truth, because there's, there's nothing but lies here in this passage, or else the truth will seek you. You see, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You can have a lot of plans, but a sense where I want God, God's purpose is going to prevail whether you like it or not. And so the truth comes after Jacob, not just Rebecca. I mean, Jacob, is a, you know, he's, a, he's a manipulating liar himself, so he goes away for 20 years now, and he ends up with his uncle Laban, who's more of a liar than he is. God makes sure that truth seeks him out. And he experiences what it's it like to be cruelly deceived. You know that principle God lays down, Jesus says, all who live by the sword will die by the sword. Remember that? You know, if you live by lies, you'll be lied to. If you live by hate, you'll be hated. You know, as, as Moses said to the people of Israel going into the, in the promised land, you can be sure of this. You rebel against God, your sin will find you out. You seek truth, or you know what? Truth will come chasing you down. Maybe not tomorrow, but maybe it'll be a month or six months or a year or two years, but truth will seek you out, and truth comes running after Jacob and Rebecca, and they experience the consequence of having rushed this thing and manipulated this thing and gone their own way and manipulated and lied. I mean, here's here's Jacob. He is so manipulated by his mom. I mean, I think he's a grown man. I mean, I relate to him, you know, and... No differentiation, he's just, he's just not a man yet, but he, God is going to send him into a fire for 20 years to transform him and break his will. And he goes from great wealth, because Isaac is rich, he's a wealthy family, and he's going to experience being a servant almost like a slave under his uncle Laban. And so there's a consequence. You seek the truth, or the truth will seek you, because we live in a world where lying is so much a part of the world we live in. You know, as Blaise Pascal once said, if you meet three to four honest people, really honest people your whole life, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, lying. Just just think about it. Just, it's just part of the culture. And, uh, I mean, how many of you have been hurt by lies? You know, people said, I love you. You can trust me. I'll be there for you. And you found out they weren't, whether it was your, a parent or maybe it was a spouse or maybe it was a boss or maybe it was a church. I mean, some of you, you don't trust anybody. You're sitting here, you're, hmm you got one eye. You know? Who is this guy up there? You know, what's this game? What's You've been hurt by lies and, and and you're scarred and you don't trust anybody. And and you see, when when we lie, and, and what these guys are doing here, Jacob and Rebecca, we, we end up taking the place of God. Because we can't trust God. So we got we 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 play God and we start trampling on people and running over people. And when there is lying, any sense of family is destroyed. Some of you know what it's like to be in a, in a, in a family with, full of secrets and lies and illusions. I mean, Jerry and I watched this movie from China recently of the great leap forward of Mao. It was really interesting, you know, and say Tung and the whole, you know, his whole thing in China there. It was just so full of lies and propaganda. We're saying everyone's participating in this incredible lie. And it's just so destructive that the whole country, how'd they do it? And we looked at other and said, it's easy. You know, it's easy. Because to, to, to engage in truth is, is very, very difficult. And, and uh, a church community that's filled with pretending, where everybody's dancing around the truth, friends, eventually the truth seeks it out. And uh, it's interesting because the early church, the first sin of the early church of Anonites and Sapphira was a lie. And as you know, what happened to them? Because God knew this lying and pretending that everything was fine was going to destroy this church right there after Pentecost. So we use a lot of, quote, lies that seem like they're harmless, to evade pain and reality. Now, now this is seek the truth, or the truth will seek you. Uh, listen, uh, this is hard. It takes enormous courage to live in truth and honesty, to seek it. I, I know myself because I, I I I don't like the truth. I prefer, like Rebecca, ah, we'll just spin it over here and fix it over here, and it'll all be gone in a few days. I remember you know, many years ago when we are Spanish, when we were two churches in one language, and, and we had that Spanish split in the afternoons. And, and it was really, much of it was a result of just me pushing and rushing ahead and manipulating, you know, and it was just, I knew I'd made some huge errors. I mean, I knew it. But I just can remember trying to patch it up so I wouldn't have a lot of pain. Like, let me just, you know, put a Band-Aid here and a Band-Aid here and a solution here, and let's just go on. And forget about it because God's moving. And you kind of spin it. And uh, how it just kept coming back to me. And I realized truth was seeking me out. And God was not going to let me go until I embraced the truth as a friend, which was the last thing I, I wanted to do. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I, I look at myself, even embracing the truth about myself. Now, it's not easy to embrace the truth about yourself, your strengths, and your weaknesses. The parts that are lovely and the parts that aren't so lovely. But to truth, and seek the truth and be aware of it and embrace it and be honest about it, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be busy doing something else. I mean, to look at, I remember at one point wanting to buy my first house, Jerry and I. And I'd made some financial decisions that were bad, but I didn't want to embrace bad financial decisions, I just remember going to my dad and being mad at him for not giving me money. <laughs> because the fact that I'd made these decisions and I was in this place financially, was, was the truth was I'd made some bad calls. But I remember going to him and say, Dad, I want this, this, and I want to buy this house. You know, I, I pulled the, my kids, they need a house, you know, they need a roof over their heads, you know, and all that stuff. And my dad just basically saying, no, you know, and you're out of control, you know, take responsibility for your life. But I did not want to embrace the truth of decisions. I made. How many folks are in debt, it seems like, for eternity? Because they don't want to look at the truth of how I got here and what it's going to take to dig out of it, so I'd rather just blame everybody else and the government and taxes and all that. People do it all the time. To not face the truth square in the face, I'll do anything. I mean, even New Life. We have a great church here. No, we're a great place. God's doing wonderful things. But I realize to look at the truth of who we are and say, what's... You know, what's God doing? What are some holes we have? What are some areas that God's trying to speak to us that are just not so good? You know what? I don't want to ask that question. We're having a great time. (laughs) I mean, it's painful. But the principle of this passage is you seek the truth, no matter where it takes you, or else, you know what? The truth will seek you. And it probably will not be very pleasant when it arrives. But it will arrive. You know, truth I should have put this on the PowerPoint. To live in truth, to seek it, requires that your life, you slow down. It requires self-introspection. It requires facing illusions. And it requires disrupting false peace. I'm going to say it again because it's so important what I just said. I'm not sure it's possible to live in the truth and seek truth unless you slow down your life to look at it. When you're really busy, there's no time to look at it self-introspective, that you're willing to look at what's really going on inside here in my life unless I face the illusions I don't know if you're like me, I like illusions, they feel good but to face them squarely, it's painful and then if I embrace them, it disrupts the peace. Let me give you an example of how this works In our early years of marriage, Jerry and I, things were not very good I thought they were fine but every time Jerry would go and spend a day alone with God, she would come back angry with me. And I remember sitting there saying, Who are you talking to? What? I'm like, Don't go. Stay home. Because every time you come back, you're mad at me and you get all these things you want to know. You're battling. When I go away, I don't come back like that. But by getting away in stillness, she began. She would see the lies. She would see the illusions. She would see my hypocrisy. And she'd come back and she'd start talking about it. But it required getting out. That's why Sabbath keeping is such an important spiritual formation practice. You're to stop for one 24-hour period every week and rest and delight in God and contemplate Him. Why? So you stop and you realize, why am I running around like crazy? Why am I so frantic about this? Life is about God. And it strips you of your illusions. Listen, my sabbaticals, I know, I've had two right now. Two sabbaticals at our church, and each time I've come back, people said, we don't want you to do this again. Every time you come back on sabbatical, it's like you disrupt the whole place. It's true, because you go away, and you're stripped. You slow down enough to see that, wow, there's some things God's been trying to say. There's some directions he's trying to take us in, and I've not taken the extended time needed to withdraw to seek the truth. It's easier just to keep going and busy. So when's the last time you had an extended time to slow down so you can seek the truth and really hear God? Some of us, we're too afraid to do that. The reason some people can't spend time alone with God in silence and solitude, it's too scary. You'd rather do anything than be alone with God because the truth comes pouring in like a flood And you're like, I can't take it. I'm just too busy. This doesn't work for me. It's not my temperament. It's not my style. I meet God while I'm running and jogging. You know, it's all these things. But the truth is, no, the truth is too painful. But remember this principle. You seek the truth or the truth will seek you. It will come for you. Just like it came for Jacob and it came for Rebecca. It may not happen immediately, but it will come. Most of us, we hate conflict. I hate conflict, so I just give in. And to Jesus' commitment to the truth, the truth will set you free, John you know, 8.32. He was in conflict with the Pharisees, with the disciples, with the crowds cleansing the, cleansing the temple. But you see, you can't have truth without conflict and disruption and sometimes a battle. And Jesus models that for us. So we end up lying. We lie. We spin to our dad, our mom, our spouse, our friends, our co-workers, our bosses. We just, we don't want to be in truth. Now, I'm not saying, you know, know, and we know there's certain things we can't talk about with people that are close to us. And so we just, we spin it. And uh, now, I'm not saying you go to someone and say, you know, you walk out of service. You know, Pastor Pete said, seek the truth. You're ugly. You're ugly. You know, I've been wanting to tell you this for a long time. You know, please don't. That's not what I'm saying. All right. Please. I can see it now. I There's an appropriateness, right? I'm not going to go to my 12-year-old. She asked me for money to go buy an ice cream cone down the street. I say, you don't get the truth. The mortgage. I pull out the mortgage payment, you know, and the, and the heating bill, and the gas bill, and the car bill, and the credit card bill. You don't get it, Eva. No, it's inappropriate. You know, some of you are counselors and... And, and, and you know, it's there's power issues. You don't just dump truth on people. There's a, a wisdom in, in when it's appropriate to share what and the whole heart and spirit of what you do it. And, and, but that's not my point here. But as you know, many marriages even, and we work with a lot with marriages, it's, it's very often that uh, nobody wants to rock the boat. And so neither one is speaking truth because they don't want the disruption. So they think it'll just go away. But it doesn't go away. How about in families? You know, some of your families you grew up in uh, or or you gather with your families and there's all these things that you know are just lies. They're just not true. And uh, you don't want to say anything because it'll be too disruptive. So you just kind of cooperate and go along. And it's almost like you say things that you know aren't true uh, because you don't want the disruption. And you just hope the truth will just, it will will not come back to bite you. And how about friendships? Some of us are in friendships and the the fear of, of speaking truthfully. And uh, we disagree with something, but we don't say anything. We end up spinning it and lying, and, and it comes back, you know. How many Christian organizations and ministries? Same thing. I mean, you, as long as it works, the church is moving, nobody's upset. Why, why mess everything up? Let's just keep it going and keep it moving. You know, some of you are grown children. You have parents. You're, you're grown up now, and, and your parents have a wonderful plan for your life. They've got your life planned out, and And uh, you don't want to disrupt their illusions of what you're going to be. And so you come back and you say nothing. And you go along with something that's just not true. But remember this principle. You seek the truth and you live in it or else the truth will eventually seek you out. It's not going anywhere. Truth is eternal. Okay, lies belong to the other domain. And you cannot build the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit you know apart from truth how many of you are bosses here with it you have employees or you're an employee and you've got a boss and you realize this whole thing is built on lies and you're saying oh no can you imagine being truthful i'd rather die than seek the truth but remember seek the truth or the truth will seek you all right now hold on to that because the second one is really close to the first one second lesson here and that's this now, I don't use the word never lightly because, you know, you teach your children don't use the word never or always. I always, you always do this, Daddy. You never do that. Well, you know, don't say you often. Don't use the word never. But I'm going to use it here because I think it's, it works. It's true. It is never, second lesson, it is never right to manipulate, twist the truth, or take things into your own hands to fulfill God's will. I'll say it again. It's never right to twist, to manipulate, To twist the truth or take things into your own hands to fulfill God's will. In other words, to get a blessing for your life, to make sure it goes well, even when things are dismal. Now, again, I don't wanna go to an extreme here. I'm not going to a doctor, you know? I don't wanna manipulate things. If God wants to heal me, He can heal me, you know? And so you got that extreme. Or, I'm not gonna look for a job, Pete. I'm just home, trusting the Lord, you know? (laughs) You know, do you have money for my rent? but I'm not going to manipulate and go look for a job and try to make it happen. That's an extreme. So we're talking here about Jacob and his mom, Rebecca. Basically, they manipulated, they twisted the truth, and they took things in their own hands to make sure things went well. And they did not wait, pray, engage, and trust God to do his will in his time and his way. They just went and said, we're going to make this thing happen. So we see Rebecca and Jacob, they're striving, they're ruthless, they're manipulating, and they're in control. Some of you, they're just just—they're going to make sure they're in control and not like going to let this thing go with God. And so I, I relate to them. I hope you relate to Rebecca. And I totally understand what they're doing because time is ticking and he's given a blessing to somebody else and Jacob's going to be left out in the cold. I mean, how many of you, you're a parent in this room, you've got kids. You'll do anything for the success of your kids. You've got an idea in your head for your children. You're saying, All right? You'll manipulate. You'll be ruthless. You'll send a little lie over here, but you're gonna get, you're gonna get God's will for your kids, rather than trust them to God. And remember, look what happened to Rebecca. It, your sin will find you out, uh, rather than release them. I mean, some of you are single, and you don't, you know how difficult. You're waiting. You'd love to be in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, and you're oh God, you know, and. And, and, and it's like time is ticking, and I just like I don't see it happening, I'm, and and you just get crazy, and you're like that's it, I'm frustrated, and you say I'm going to make this thing happen, and you go, you jump into a relationship before you know it. you're way down a road, and you say how did this ever happen to me? It's all your fault, God, you should have answered earlier, you know, why'd you make it so difficult? And it's not that we don't initiate, if you're single, initiate trying, seeking to meet people or engaging in relationships with the opposite sex, and, and 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 that, but it's the spirit in which one does it, of anxiousness, of fear. Of striving, of making it happen. If it doesn't happen, I'm going to die, or someone else is going to die. Or you or, are or you waiting for a job, or or, or even a, a move, or a house, or an apartment? You're like you're, you're kind of you're seeking God. Say, I'm looking for this opportunity, for this job, and and it's just like God, nothing's happening. So you just get crazy, you know. You get, you get manic. It's like you get on crack. Like that's it, and you take a job, you know, and you, and you just you just lunge at it. a door opens, you crash through it, and you know, or you move to, you know, Kentucky or something, you know, or you just, and you're in, how did I get here, you know, you just, you just I can't take it, I can't take it, you know, God don't know where God is, you know, but I want to say, it's never right to manipulate or twist the truth or take things in your own hands, and not that you don't move to Kentucky, okay, God bless Kentucky, you know, I'm sure it's a great place to live, and God may lead you to Kentucky, but, uh, you know, or some of you, you're, you're in a school system, and it's, you know, the New York City school system, or, or you're in business, perhaps. But you became a teacher because you love teaching, and you love kids, and you, can't, you want to make a difference. And some of you know what I'm talking about, whether it's a business profession or social work or medicine or law. And, 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 but it's like this thing is so horrible. It's like nothing's happening. This thing's going to hell in a handbasket. You're sitting there saying, I just can't take it. And so you used to start, you're going to be a teacher for Jesus. And, <laughs> and then you start striving and manipulating, and you're mean like everybody else. And you see, it's the means as well as the ends. You with me? It's it's not just the end in mind; it's how you get there, and your whole spirit is now all wrong, because now it's built out of striving and anxiety, a fear of God's not working fast enough or quick enough, and, and you get crazy, or, or, or the best is you know I, you know, I, as you know I, I'm really committed to pausing three four times a day in, in this you know pausing to be with God daily offices you know stopping to center you know, and so very often I, I will I will pray that I'll, I'll use that handout where is it here I brought it with me you know the Lord's Prayer. And um, I'll pray the Our Father as part of my time with God. And uh, it was only 10, 15 minutes. I'll pray, oh, God, you know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm like, okay, God, your will. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon or 5 o'clock. God, what's your will for my next couple of hours here? It's like, you know, and, uh, and very often, I mean, this happens often. This is in my better moments, okay, not my worst moments. My better moments I hear. And I say, God, what do you think? You know, what's your will? And the Lord will say, Hey, stop praying. You know, go out and play basketball, you know, with your daughters. And I'm like, oh, my like, oh, God. You, know, you, know, you, know, you know, go out, go downstairs, you know, and start dinner. I'm like, oh, man, I want to I pray. I want to be alone. I'm in the role here, you know, and it's like. But you see, and there was, even my relationship with God is manipulative. Do you understand? It's like, I really don't want his will. I want my will, and everybody will be fine. I mean, you know what it's like when you're praying for somebody and they're not changing? It kills you, doesn't it? It's just like, oh man, I pray, I want to pray for this person to change and God touched their life. And so you get to the point, you say, you know what, I, I just, I, I, it's not working. So, so you begin to criticize them. You know, you get passive aggressive. You know? Then you begin to talk to this person, Linda, hey, Linda, talk to Joe, will you? You know, he, he's really unresponsive. And you start triangling, but you just like, you just lose it. And you just take things in your own hands. But listen, whether it's any new initiative for Christ or starting a new activity, it's anything, it's all motive, isn't it? It's how I approach it, whether it's, you know, a new ministry or raising money to finish the building or or, a retreat. It's, as I do it, is it really out of anxiety and fear or is it really out of being centered in Christ? And Lord, I sense you're initiating this and I'm going to go for it. And it's two very different ways. So we're to be active, but we're dependent on God in our activity. Jacob and Rebecca in this text are just, they are not even, God is not in the equation. I'm sure they're doing their prayer, and they're probably showing up at church, but the truth is they're manipulating, self-serving, ruthless, and they're running their own life, and it's my will be done. I'm not sure it's possible to live out what we're talking about here without a prayer life. That's why, I don't know, we do many things in New Life, but what is really more important than learning how to pray? It's difficult to pray, isn't it? Learning, how do I engage the living God personally? How do I talk to him and listen to him? And I mean, that's, that's the essence of the Christian life. But without a prayer life, which Jacob apparently, at this point, he doesn't have much of a prayer life, and Rebecca clearly does not, um, we end up manipulating and twisting truth and taking things in our own hands, and uh, it's a big mess. And I, I think the passage where this leads us to is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is there before the, he says, Abba, Father. And I quoted the text here, you know, if it's, any, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And here's Jesus, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is struggling with unanswered prayer. He struggles and says all night he's praying. He's in anguish, sweating as if drops of blood. And he's saying, is there any other way for the world to, to be forgiven except that I die on that cross? And God says, no. The answer to his request is, No. Talk about unanswered prayer. And he we see Jesus struggling here with God, the Father, his Abba. I love God's will. It's easy to preach about it. I applaud it. It's fantastic. As long as God does what I want. The great problem is when your will and God's will are different. When you're at cross purposes is when, really, fights break out and uh, we have a problem. And now we start lying and self-deceiving and we fight. But the one thing we learn about this passage of Jesus that that came to a place where I, I don't strive and manipulate and take control, really friends, it takes a struggle and it takes time. It's a process, it's not instant. And we've got to cut the umbilical cord and all those ribbons and chains to all of our hopes and dreams and things we demand and we want. And I'm telling you, it is, it, it is a prayer issue of struggling God not my will, but your will be done in this situation. Friends, that is a scary pray- prayer to pray. You know, I, think of Abraham. He had to struggle with God's will, sacrifice Isaac. Think of David wanted to build a temple. God said, no. Moses wanted a people of Israel delivered. God said, 40 years in the wilderness. Moses, David, uh, I'm sorry, Paul said, get me, get rid of this thorn in the flesh. God said, no. Jacob's not struggling with God's will. It's like, whatever. He manipulates, twists the truth. Let's get it done. There's no struggle for Jacob. There's no struggle for Rebecca. But here's the great news. You know what? Could you imagine praying this prayer? I I don't know if you know Charles D. Foucault. He was an old missionary in North Africa. Now, this is a scary prayer to pray. And you can get it off the internet, you know, on the website. But uh, I'll read it fast so we can move on because it's so scary. (laughs) But uh, it's, Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. That hurts, doesn't it? Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Wow. Just try pausing, praying that three times a day. Let's move on. We're talking about crucifixion here. Do you realize that? When we talk about never manipulating, twisting the truth, take things into your own hands, this is crucifixion. This is when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I've been crucified. You see, but with crucifixion always comes a resurrection. God says you're hanging on to something tight. It's good, but I've got something greater good for you. And in that crucifixion and death, there is a greater resurrection. And so we don't just die without hope. We're dying. Let it go. But God says, I've got something great for you. And uh, God's transforming us over time. Because we don't know most of the time what God is doing. But like Jesus in Philippians 2, we let go and we pour ourselves out. And we trust him. But listen, God's going to wrestle Jacob down. He wrestles him to the ground. We'll get to that next week and the weeks that follow. God's going to get you. He is going to wrestle you to the ground. But I'll tell you one thing. You're better off now. Seek the truth or else the truth is going to seek you. But make no mistake about it. God's going to change Jacob's name to Israel. God's going to transform his heart. But God's going to send him into a furnace of fire. And he is going to die. But he's going to fight and kick every step of the way. Now, the question is, are we? I read the story of Jacob. I'm like, oh, God, I don't want the truth seeking me. I'm like, there's got to be a better way. In this painful way, and there is, friends. That's why God put this in Scripture for us. And the great news is that beneath this scheming, lying Jacob and his mom, you know what? God is working. We're all Jacobs in this room, aren't we? We all come from families that are, all, most of us, from families that are deeply unhealthy. You look at Jacob and say, that's my family. You know, just like, But you know what? God takes this ordinary family and does something extraordinary. And God takes your ordinariness and mine and our ordinary families with all of its mess, and God does something Extraordinary. His grace and power flows through it. That's why this, this passage is about the gospel, that God takes people like you and I, and he saves us, and he chooses us, and he forgives us, and he fills us with the Spirit, and he actually, through our mess and our process, he brings blessing to the world around us. That, friends, is the miracle of amazing love. Oh, what amazing love. We should sing that song, Peter. What a song. So even when we don't freely choose to cooperate, God will work Anyway, some of you, you're not freely choosing to cooperate. You're fighting in a whole way, but God's working. All right, let's do an exercise together, okay? Because all this grabbing, manipulating, lying, scheming, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Here's a little prayer from, you know, Madame Guyon. You know, rest, rest. Rest in God's love. Love that. The only work you're required now to do is to give your most intense attention to his still, small voice within takes time, though, doesn't it? It takes slowing down. It takes introspection. It takes being willing to whatever happens, God, some disruption. And uh, so I want to invite you to rest with me. And uh, the worst thing could come forward, that would be great. And um, Jesus is inviting us to rest. And I'd like to invite you, come to me, all oh, you are weary and burdened. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. Now, one of the scriptures I've been meditating on for the last month or so is Psalm 127, and uh, it was kind of my preparation for this whole Jacob series, you know, and and, um, I want you to look at it with me as we close. I'm going to give you a couple minutes of silence, and, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain, you rise up early and stay up late, striving Manipulating, making it happen, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Now, just ponder with me, lectio divina. What's this text just saying? You know, what's it saying? What's it pointing out? You know, it's a number of things here, but obviously, that unless God ultimately does it, it ain't happening. And you can, you, can watch, you can try to build that house all you want. You can, you can exhaust yourself and die an early death, but the house ain't getting built because you either seek the truth or the truth is going to seek you. And lies and deception and striving and manipulation, you cannot build a content, joyful, godly life out of that. You know, in vain you rise up early. And you, oh, man, I'm killing myself here. But God gives sleep to those he loves, and he loves you, and he wants you to rest. There's a place of just resting. just so love that. Then you look at that passage and you say, what does that passage say to me personally? What's it saying to me as I look at that? Oh, man, huh? a lot of in vainness. Huh? You know, I, I'm exhausted. Lord, you grant sleep. I could use a good nap. Just a rest. I mean, God saying, I just need a rest. What are you striving for? kids and your finances and then you just pray it back to god say oh god forgive me lord for striving and toiling and trying to build everything without consulting you without praying to you without listening to you as if you're not even there And then you just take a moment and just kind of rest just rest in god's love for you so we just take a couple minutes and let's just bow our heads and you may want to look at the verses i'm praying we just let's take a couple of minutes just of silence and I want to invite you to rest in the arms of God's love for you. You know, Richard Foster talks about a prayer of relinquish, relinquishment, which is what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane—the prayer of letting go. And I just want to invite you. I want to lead you in a prayer of letting go or relinquishing to God. And I want to invite you to lift up into God's arms your children, if you're married here with children, your spouse, maybe your parents, your friendships. Lift them up to God. Then place into God's care your future, your hopes, and your dreams. Your anxieties. Trust them into God's hands right now. Just let them go. And your enemies, your anger, your desire for revenge, give all of that into his hands. So here's the words I'd like to invite you. Just pray along with me silently to the Father. You know, Lord Jesus, I am not good at resting in the hollow of your hand. Nothing in my experience has taught me this resting. I've been taught to take charge. I really can't trust other people. I've been taught how to be in control, but how to rest, I have no idea. I hate the idea of letting go, of not being in control. In fact, I'm afraid of it. So Jesus, teach me how to let go, how to trust you. Teach me this way of relinquishment, that not my will be done, but your will. Amen. Let's all stand. So, you know, it's interesting as you'll read this passage, you know, Esau, uh, his willfulness and stubbornness is is so great, he never turns around. I mean, he just never responds, and it gets harder and harder with time. Jacob, at least, as God deals with him, he's responsive, you know, and God, he lets God wrestle him to the ground. So as we close here, uh, we're going to keep it quiet, all right, Uh, in this sanctuary. We can all chat outside, but let the worship team is going to stay here and lead us in worship, and it's just holy ground here as God's dealing with many of us. And there's a communion table up here towards the front, and so we invite you to take a few moments and ask the Lord for forgiveness and cleansing, and we welcome you to take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, if you're a believer in Jesus, and and partake of Jesus, who is my life, my substance, my, my bread. I can't live without you, and just eat of him the bread of life, because we are what we eat, and you're welcome to come to this table. There'll be some prayer teams to your left, and... Uh, some of you, you you know you need to come for prayer. And it may be you need to come to Christ for the first time today. You're here, and someone drags you here, and, and you've just been just running your own life. And you're like, oh, you know Jesus did die and rise again, but personally, you've not let it in. And today's your day to let him in. And each week, we want to offer you to come to Christ. All right, so please come. And, but you may be here, and you know who you are. You're, you're a Jacob, and you're just, it's so deep in you. You've got your chain, you've got... You've got, like, hold on so many things, relationships and dreams and hopes, and it's going to hell will freeze over before you let these things go. because It's so deep in you. And you say, oh, God, help me. And, friends, that's not a bad place to be in. And we want to invite you to come for prayer as well, that God will just cut those umbilical cords, those chains, the things that you're grabbing onto so you can say like Jesus, Father, I'd like to have it, but not my will, but yours be done. A very courageous prayer to pray, and not an easy one to say lightly. And if you're in that struggle over some specific issues, please don't run out of here. Come forward, let us pray for you, and let God touch you and set you free, all right? Okay, so just bow and just receive God's blessings. We'll officially close the service, and whatever needs to happen, God can do his work in us. And so, Lord, as you see us all standing before you, we're all in different places in our journey with you. May your face shine upon us. May you grant us your peace. May your love so flood us and fill us that we would surrender to trust you and not be so afraid of you. That we really can trust your timetable, your pathway and your wisdom help us not lean on our own wisdom and understanding but to truly acknowledge you teach us to pray as we go forth and may our lives like jacob be a gift to everybody we touch may blessing and grace and power flow through your people here around the city of new york to those around us and lord if you can do it with jacob you can do it with us so change your name transform our hearts for the glory of your Son, Jesus. In his name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful day. And again, let's try to keep it quiet up here. And please come forward to the altar and the communion table and have a great day.